So this morning, I have the, uh, the pleasure of kicking off our study through the book of Jonah that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. Um, so they gave me the chapter about running away from God. I'm not sure why they gave that one to me, but um, many of us know the story of Jonah. You might have grown up with it in Sunday school, um, or maybe you've seen the VeggieTales movie. Um, either way, it's one that almost even people who aren't a part of the church can often tell you the gist of the story of Jonah. Um, But even though we know it so well, I'm consistently amazed at how God uses his word in a new way every time I read through something. And he's done that for me this this round through Jonah, and I'm praying that he's going to do that for you as well. Um, So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Jonah 1. Um, It's between Obadiah and Micah, if that helps. Um, But if you don't have a Bible with you, the verses will be along on the screen for you to follow along with. And because I believe that God has way more that he can say to you through his word than I would ever have to say, um, we're going to start this morning off by just reading through this story and seeing what God brings out of it. So starting right at the beginning of Jonah 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps that God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what should we do that the sea may be quiet down for, may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights an easy place to end. A little bit of a cliffhanger for next week. 
So let's go back to the beginning and uh, let's break it down a little bit and see what we have here. And let's actually start with the book of Jonah as a whole. Uh, This book is different from any other that we have concerning one of God's prophets. And the biggest difference is because it doesn't really focus on the message that the prophet was given from God. This book actually focuses on the disobedient of God's servant, on the disobedient of his prophet. We see Jonah show up only one other time in Scripture, which happens to be in 2 Kings, other than the fact that Jesus um, referenced Jonah uh, when he was talking to some people. But the only time we see a different story with Jonah included um, is when he's prophesying for a king of Israel. So Jonah would have been pretty well known. Um, If he was around today, we might actually call him a Christian celebrity. He's probably pretty well known in the nation of Israel. But rather than being remembered as a mighty and a heroic prophet, because of his disobedience and because of his prejudice, the story is the way we remember him, the story of disobedience, the story of Jonah acting like a fool. And so going back to the story itself, we jump into the story really suddenly. The beginning of the book just starts with the word now. Here we are. So God tells Jonah that he's going to go to Nineveh and call them to repent. Now, Nineveh was a fairly significant journey inland from where Jonah was. Jonah was probably somewhere near Israel. And that would have been a far journey east. Jonah hitches a ride to Tarshish, which is west across an ocean. Um, We don't know exactly where Tarshish was located, um, but a lot of people believe it would have been somewhere around southern Spain. And so regardless of where it actually was, Jonah was running across an entire ocean when he already had a far journey to get there to begin with. We don't get much detail into Jonah's reasoning at this point in the story um, of why he's running away. But within two verses, we're told three times that Jonah's going to Tarshish. Most of the time when something's repeated in scripture, it means that it's important. Um, But what's being highlighted here, what's being made very clear is that Jonah is disobeying God. And not only is he disobeying God, he's actually trying to flee away from God. He's trying to flee his presence. Um, In those two verses, we see it said, Jonah's fleeing to Tarshish. Jonah's going to Tarshish. He's going with them to Tarshish. I don't know know about you, but I think Jonah's probably heading to Tarshish. And so we're talking about Jonah here, who's a prophet for God, who knows who God is, who shares God's messages with his people. And so being a prophet, I'm not sure what Jonah was thinking. I don't think, did he really think that he could run away from God, that he could get away from him? Whatever his thought process was, his plan doesn't work. Because as we see, as we go along in the story, uh, into verse 4, God is still in control and he hurls a great wind on the sea. And ironically, in the midst of the storm, it's the pagan sailors who end up praying while Jonah is down below, fast asleep. Granted, they're praying to false gods, but they're doing their part, and Jonah's not concerned at all. So the captain goes down and says, what are you doing? We're all doing our part. We're praying to our gods. Why don't you pray to your God? Maybe he'll have mercy on us. And so Jonah gets up, and the sailors decide that they're going to cast lots to see whose fault the storm is. Lo and behold, the lot lands on Jonah, which 
I'm always amazed when that ends up working out in Scripture. I don't think that still holds true today. I think we've got the Holy Spirit for discernment now, so we don't get to roll dice. (laughs) But anyway, so the lot falls on Jonah, and they put him in the hot seat. They start giving him the third degree. They start questioning him. They say, where are you from? What do you do? And why is this happening? And Jonah has to come to terms that all of his junk has finally caught up with him, which if you've ever felt that is a sinking feeling. I can remember that feeling from the assistant principal's office in eighth grade, and it's not fun at all. But it's necessary to have that moment of being completely humbled right there and having to admit to what you've done. And so Jonah spills. Jonah tells them who he is, and he tells them what's going on. But one part of his answer seems kind of funny to me. He says that he fears the God who made the sea. But Jonah's trying to run away from God by sailing across the sea that he says his God made and controls. I don't think he fully thought that through. One thing that's really cool about this story, we see that God is completely sovereign no matter the circumstances. We get a glimpse of that here, that in spite of Jonah's disobedience and really actually kind of destroying his own witness, his own testimony, God works through those circumstances to reach the lost, even there. These pagan sailors, they end up having an encounter with the one true God, even through Jonah's disobedience. I'm not, definitely not condoning his behavior, and I would not ever encourage us to follow in those footsteps. But one thing that this should do for us is give us a confidence in the fact that God is completely in control. That no matter what the situation looks like, even if we make a mess, that God can still work through that. I wouldn't say deliberately try to make a mess, but don't be worried about trying and failing. We're not capable of messing up God's plan. It's too big. And so Jonah goes on, and he tells the sailors that to spare themselves, they should toss him overboard. And there's kind of two ways to look at this, uh, this request from him. At first glance, it actually seems like it might be kind of noble. Like maybe Jonah's finally starting to take responsibility for his actions for the first time in this story. But the other side of it that you could look at is maybe Jonah's asking them to toss him overboard so he can get even further away from this call that God has put on his life. This could be actually a selfish request. And so I don't have anything to prove which way it was or not, but based on what we continue to learn about Jonah going forward in the story... It really could have gone either way. Regardless, we see uh, that as Jonah attempts to run away from God, he continues to fall lower and lower. In verse 3, we're told that he went down to Joppa. And then we see that he went down into the ship. In verse 5, it tells us that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and fallen asleep. And then after that, Jonah's hurled off the ship down into the sea And finally, his lowest point, he's swallowed by this great fish in the depths of the ocean. The further that we try to run away from God, the lower we end up falling. I want to jump right at Jonah 1.9 for a second. I already mentioned that part of this claim of Jonah seems kind of fishy to me. Um, I didn't even have that written down. That just came. In, in, In verse 9... 
Jonah claims to fear God, but his actions completely contradict his confession. And I think what this shows is that just as Jonah doesn't seem to fully understand God's compassion and mercy, I don't think he has a clear grasp of God's wrath towards sin and his wrath towards disobedience. And God's wrath is terrifying. We end up talking a lot about God's grace and we talk about his mercy, his love, and his compassion. And that's absolutely apparent in this story. We see that God wants Jonah to bring a message to these Ninevites because he loves them, because he cares about them, because even though they are evil and God sees that, he wants to have compassion on them. He wants them drawn to repentance. But we can't pick and choose the parts of God that we want. Often we choose to disregard God's wrath towards sin. And that can be because we want to take a little bit of the burden or the shame off of ourselves, the guilt, in a way other than the fact that Jesus already did that. And sometimes it can be hard to wrap our head around the wrath of God because we forget that we're supposed to fear God. We forget that we're called to fear God. In Scripture, there are multiple places where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And multiple places where we're called to fear him. And it's, it's hard to fear someone, it's hard to understand how to fear someone when all you ever talk about is their love and their grace and their compassion. I once heard a message by someone that I look up to a great deal um, talking about how the beginning of wisdom is fearing the Lord. And it's like, well, how do you fear God? If we always say he's this nice, good, loving father, how do you fear someone like that? And he said, the way that you do that the way that you start to understand how great and how terrifying the wrath of God is, which is one of the ways that we should fear him, is to look to the cross. We should look to Jesus' suffering. We should look to his death and his sacrifice. Something that I think we often forget is that the enemy didn't crush Jesus. God did. Jesus suffered God's wrath. He suffered under the wrath of God, not Satan's wrath, not man's wrath. It was God's wrath that absolutely decimated his own son. That's how huge and powerful and ferocious God's wrath is towards sin. God crushed his own son because of how much he hates sin, because that was the only way to make us clean, because of how much God hates sin. I don't know about you, but I think that's absolutely terrifying that that carries that big of a weight, that that's how much God despises sin. And I, I don't think Jonah had the full picture of that. But the really messed up part is that Jonah isn't completely ignorant of God's wrath. I said towards the beginning of the story that we aren't really given a reason right now as to why Jonah is so opposed to going to Nineveh. And I don't really want to give away too many spoilers um, about the rest of the story, even though most of us probably already know it. Um, the fact is, there are logical reasons for not wanting to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was one of Israel's greatest foes. They were a huge enemy of Israel. And some of what we know about the Assyrians is that they were terribly violent and they were cruel. Um, one example... I won't get too graphic, that they were said to even skin people alive. Try to think of that while you're falling asleep tonight. <laughs> That's how violent they were. 
So one spoiler that I will break into uh, throughout the entire book is that Jonah never even claims to be afraid about going to Nineveh. He's not worried about being injured or being maimed or being killed. He's not worried about God getting him there. The only reason that Jonah ever says he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, the only reason that he refuses is because he hates them. Because he despises them and he hates them so much that he doesn't want to take a chance on God being merciful and compassionate towards them. That's Jonah knows enough about God's wrath that he doesn't want the city of Nineveh to have a chance to be saved. And Jonah also knows enough about God to know that there is a chance that they would be saved. So it's this really, Jonah understands the wrath of God a little bit. And he understands the notion of God to be merciful and graceful. And even knowing all that, Jonah still refuses to obey. Jonah somehow thinks that he himself is entitled to God's love. That even in his disobedience, that he deserves God's love, while the Ninevites deserve punishment. Jonah thinks that he can choose who deserves God's mercy. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes I think we do as well. I think sometimes we feel that we can choose that. There are plenty of times I can think about of where I held a grudge against someone or where I just didn't like someone. And I have to think about those times and repent for how much, how hard my heart was in those situations. And even one story that happened not that long ago, a few months ago, I'm working on it since then. Um, I remember one day I was driving, it was night, I was driving along and I was listening to a worship song and I was singing along and I was drumming along on the steering wheel And then all of a sudden, a car starts coming towards me with their high beams on. And they get closer and closer and closer, and their high beams are still on. And about the time they passed me, I blew my lid. And I freaked out, and I was like, what is wrong with you? What kind of idiot can't turn their high beams off? And in that moment, I had to stop myself, and I was like, what is wrong with me? It showed me how much work there's still left to be done in my heart, how much sanctification I still need. Because in an instant, I went from singing about God and praising him and being focused on him to focusing hatred on someone that I'd never met and probably who didn't even realize that they were high-beaming me. Sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that some people shouldn't have access to God's grace. And sometimes... We even wish God's wrath upon people. But we really need to get serious about it because God's wrath isn't something to take lightly. It's a matter that's literally about life or death to the degree of eternity. And the fact is that Jesus paid far too much for us to make a decision on who should get that love based on our pettiness or even with a sense of justice. We feel that the decision we would make is a just one. We think, well, well, they deserve it. But we forget, is God is a just God too. God's sense of justice is even greater than ours. And uh, something that Russ Willett often says that I, I really grab onto every time he says it is, God is a just God. And he's a just God because he doesn't double charge for sin. 
Jesus paid the price for all sin once. And if we believe that Jesus' sacrifice isn't enough to cover whatever action we're outraged by, no matter how big it is, then we minimize the true value of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And I don't want to discount any of the hurts that anyone has experienced, any of the hurts that someone you know has experienced that cause you to be outraged and have this bad taste in your mouth, because those things are real. But regardless of how we feel, God isn't wanting anyone to perish. God isn't giving us a choice on who he decides to show mercy to. Um, In Romans 9, um, Paul uh, calls back a verse when God was speaking to Moses. uh, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Thank God it's not up to us. Another example is in uh, 2 Peter 3. Uh, Peter writes, But by, these, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is, a, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I was reminded this morning of a a sermon jam that's out there by uh, Judah Smith. Um, And if you haven't seen it, I really recommend going and checking it out. Um, It's called Jesus Loves Barabbas by Judah Smith. And every time, watch it with a box of tissues. Um, But I was reminded of that this morning, how when Jesus goes before Pilate uh, to be condemned, he offers to free either Jesus or Barabbas. And the people choose Barabbas. And often when we read that, we can be angered that the guilty man gets to go free and the innocent man is sentenced to death. But in that sermon jam, he talks about how God wanted Barabbas to go free because Jesus knew that he would have to be treated like Barabbas in order for Barabbas and us to be treated like Jesus. Whoever your greatest enemy is, whoever you have the most negativity towards, God loves that person. God loves that group of people even. And he want, he doesn't love what they're doing necessarily. If they are sinning, if they are doing evil, God does not love that. But he loves them and he longs for their souls to reach repentance. And so this story is called the story of Jonah. Um, but really, if you think about it, the story of Jonah isn't just all about Jonah. It's a little bit about us as well. We can use this story like a mirror. Because even though we fault him, um, and in doing so, by the way, we judge correctly. Jonah was a complete jerk through this story. We judge rightly when we look at his actions. But we can often have some of the same tendencies as Jonah. And in some ways, we might need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Ninevites because if that's not where you are right now, that's where you once were because you didn't know the difference. You didn't know that God had called you. 
And we would have been lost if Jesus had acted like Jonah. So we can have some of these same tendencies as Jonah. And as we go uh, today, I want you to take with you two questions. Um, If you're taking notes, go ahead and write them down. Or if not, just remember them. Um, And I want you to think about them as we go today. I want you to pray about them throughout the week. Um, I want you to read the story and reflect on how you might see your own reflection in relation to the story. And definitely read the story for yourself. It takes no time at all. And don't just trust what we say from up here. Don't trust me. Don't just, don't even just trust Travis. Like, get into this word on your own and see what God has to say to you personally through his word. And so the two questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning are, are there any areas in my life where I'm running away from God? Maybe God has called you to something that you're scared of. Maybe God has called you to something that you would really rather not do. Um, Or maybe God has just said something. He's made a command and left it there and you're choosing to ignore it. Whatever it is, be brutally honest with yourself. If you can't be honest between yourself and God, who are you going to be honest with? So ask yourself that. Are there any places in my life, even away from something small? And the second is, are there any people that I would deny God's grace to? And this, can, this one can be really humbling. This can kind of sting a little bit. And aside from that, it can just be hard because even if it doesn't sting as much, even if we want to hold on to the grudge and we just want to stay angry, that's hard to let go of. But I want you to take these two questions and in light of those two questions, I want you to ask yourself one more question and ask, in light of these two questions, does my reflection look more like Jonah or more like Jesus? And as I said, we're, we're so lucky that Jonah and Jesus don't look like the same person in regards to the story. Um, let's compare them for just a second. Jonah was in a good place. He was somewhere near Israel. He was kind of around his home. Jonah was doing good work. He was prophesying for God's people, bringing God's message to them, and enjoying a good life. If you like what you do and you like where you are, how could you not enjoy that? So Jonah was in a good place, and he was doing good work and enjoying a good life. And God called him and said to him, I want you to go to another place, and I want you to go do a different work, because I want it done for the sake of a people that I love. Jonah's answer was no. Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus was in heaven. He was ruling the universe with power. And he was adored by angels and all the hosts of heaven. Jesus was in the best place. He was doing the best work. And he was enjoying the best life that we can't even imagine. We I almost wanted to say the best life imaginable, but that's not true because it's way above that. God came to him and said, I want you to go to another place. And in this place, you're going to be utterly rejected. You're going to do this different thing. You're going to live a life that's perfect. And even though you live a perfect life, it's going to lead in the end to torture, crucifixion, and death. And you're going to become a sacrifice for the sake of of the people that I love? Jesus' answer was yes. Praise God that Jesus said yes. 
Where else would we be otherwise? So God, the, the person that we have the most trouble loving, the person that we have no love for at all, the person that we would want to put out that we wouldn't, that we wouldn't shed a paper cut over helping, God loves that person deeply. God loves those people deeply. Jesus has called us to love our enemies. We're to be known as the church by our love. One, for the love that we have for each other. And we generally do a pretty good job of that. But one thing that would completely floor the world is if we loved our enemies the way that God loves his enemies. He calls us to love our enemies and have compassion on them. A lot of the time, we hate doing that. And when that happens, I just want us to stop, and I want us to remember and ask ourselves this question. Where would I be if God felt that way? I want us to remember that the only reason that we even have hope is because God is the one who shows compassion for his enemies. He had compassion on us. One of my favorite verses is Romans 5, 8. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God that God doesn't view his enemies the way that Jonah does, the way that we do so often. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful that you have love for us, that you have love for your enemies. Lord, that while we were completely opposed to you, that you were for us, that you weren't willing for us to perish, that you sent your own son to suffer under your wrath, that we would never have to experience it and that we could have full connection and full relationship with you. God, I pray that you would change our hearts so that we would have that same desire for all those around us, even those that we struggle to love, even those that are our enemies. Lord, would you make us less like Jonah and more like Jesus, loving and bringing your gospel everywhere to the ends of the earth. God, I pray that your name would continually be glorified in this place, that as we go from here, we would praise your name. Lord, throughout the week, we would proclaim your gospel through our words and through our deeds. Lord, would you help us to love you better each day? Would you help us to love others, including our enemies, better each day? Lord, help us go not in a spirit of fear, but in a spirit of love and of hope and a burning passion to see your kingdom expanded. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.